it snowed. We hardly had any snow on the ground in December here in northern Michigan. I remember like one dusting, maybe. And the National Weather Service says last month was the second warmest December on record in our area. But now we have snow and it showed up just in time for a big birthday party. We'll explain on this week's episode of the Up North Lowdown from Interlochen Public Radio. Hey, I'm Ed Ronco. More on that story later. But before we get there, we need to jump into some news. And we start with farmers. This week, the Michigan Supreme Court heard a case involving the way the state regulates big livestock farms. They're called CAFOs. We'll explain what that means in a second. A good number of farmers are upset about the way the state went about adjusting some of the regulations that cover them, so they sued. It is a case the state says could have serious consequences for Michigan's water, and there are a lot of moving parts to this. Luckily, we have reporter Ellie Katz to explain it. CAFO stands for Concentrated Animal Feeding Operation. These are big farms raising hundreds, often thousands of animals. All those livestock produce a lot of liquid waste, filled with animal feces, pharmaceuticals, hormones, heavy metals, and also nutrients, a mixture that often gets applied to fields as fertilizer. And the State Department of Environment, Great Lakes, and Energy, or EGLE, sets conditions for how farmers should apply all that waste. A few years ago, EGLE cracked down. In 2020, the general permit for CAFOs contains stricter requirements than it ever had before. So this case isn't really about the substance of the regulations themselves with respect to the 2020 general permit, but rather it's really about the process. Zach Larson is the attorney representing Michigan Farm Bureau and several CAVO farmers. He says the state didn't follow the proper procedure with the latest permit. That's because of a state law that was amended in the early 2000s. The law says Eagle cannot promulgate new rules when it comes to regulating CAFO water pollution. Larson and the Farm Bureau argue that stricter 2020 permit was essentially a new rule. Uh, the farms are simply asking for the same benefit of uh, those procedures that are applied in really any federal and state agency policy-making process. Farm Bureau says Eagle violated the rulemaking process and overstepped their authority. But Eagle and several environmental policy groups disagree. This gets really hairy because <laughs> this is where this case gets very confusing. That's Jim Olson. He is an environmental lawyer in Traverse City. He's with one of many independent environmental policy groups who urged the Michigan Supreme Court to take this case. The fact is, the way the law reads is, Eagle has its hands tied behind his back. It cannot amend the general permit. But it can update the general permit. And Eagle argues that's what it did in 2020. Plus, Olson says there's a glaring issue with Farm Bureau's argument. The same law that prevents Eagle from promulgating new rules also obligates them to protect Michigan's water and to control the pollution that flows into it. Olson says a ruling in Farm Bureau's favor would force the state to violate its own laws and constitution. He argues that it would freeze an old general permit in place, preventing much-needed updates to regulate CAFO pollution. It's basically a, a go-ahead to continue polluting the waters of the state by massive animal operations. So, what's the big picture in court? Farm Bureau and CAFO farmers have a problem with process. They say Eagle illegally promulgated a new rule when it updated the general permit. Eagle and its allies say the general permit needs to be updated. And without those updates, Eagle cannot do what it's legally bound to do, which is protect water in Michigan. 
They also take issue with how Farm Bureau is working the court system. But what's at stake? Zach Larson for Farm Bureau says it's holding the state accountable to following the right procedure. We view this as as pretty significant in terms of the burdens that are being imposed by the state, and that deserves the same deliberative process and democratic process that any any other action by the state setting similar standards gets. Plus, farmers say the 2020 permit is restrictive and costly, and it makes business even harder in an industry where they can't set their own prices. Eagle and environmental groups say Michigan's water quality and the state's ability to regulate it are at risk. Justices will hear oral arguments on Thursday and likely issue a decision later this year. IPR environment reporter Ellie Katz. Hey, before we take a quick break, a word about some of our public radio pals. Congrats to the folks at what we used to call Michigan Radio. This week, they changed their name to Michigan Public, so that's how you'll hear us referring to them from now on. Executive Director Wendy Turner explained why. Broadcast remains a center of gravity from a public service standpoint, but our current and future audiences rely on us to be accessible across many platforms and to have a meaningful and authentic engagement across all of them. This new name, Michigan Public, is a reflection of our commitment to meeting people where they are, wherever that is. That's Wendy Turner, executive director of Michigan Public, formerly Michigan Radio, speaking on the station's stateside program. The Lowdown returns in a moment. This new year, LifeKit wants to help you succeed because everyone needs a little help being human. It can seem so overwhelming. You're not alone. Who can I commit to being? If you want to do something, then just do it. Just take that first step. Great advice every week. Listen to LifeKit from NPR. Hello, Peter Payette here, Executive Director of Interlochen Public Radio, with a big thanks to our donors. 2023 was a great year for this station in many ways, including listener support. We wrapped up the year with a couple hundred more supporters than we had in 2022, and total giving was up about 10%, allowing us to keep up with the rising costs of our operation and make bigger and better plans for 2024. We're honored to have an audience that recognizes what it takes to run an exceptional public radio service for this community. On behalf of the entire staff, thank you and Happy New Year. Welcome back to the Up North Lowdown. I'm Ed Ronco, and I love snow. I love it. Powdery snow, crunchy snow, the snow that sticks to tree trunks and branches like frosting, and that hush. That hush when the snow mutes everything and just seems to slow the whole world down. But last month was the second warmest December on record, and that had to make local ski areas nervous. Well, We have just received a healthy dose of snow this week, and for Boyne Mountain Resort in Charlevoix County, it showed up right on time. Boyne is not the oldest ski area in Michigan. That title belongs to Mont Ripley in the UP, which opened in the 1930s. But this week, Boyne marked its 75th anniversary by opening its hills for 75 straight hours, a three-day nonstop ski challenge. IPR reporter Michael Livingston, a brand-new skier himself, takes us to the slopes. My name is Carrie Kendros. I've been coming here for about 50 years. I'm Frank Roeder, and I've been coming here since 1985. Well, what's brought you back here for nearly five decades? (laughs) 
Well, it's an awesome place to come, a lot of variety. Um, we used to come with friends uh, who had a condo over here, and, and we had eight kids, so they would pack us all up in the motorhome, and then we, they let you, they used to let you park in that big parking lot over there, and then just would ski all day, go to the motorhome for a little snack, come back out, ski all day. Back in 1985, my wife and I came up with three other couples, and we were, you know, going to be here for three days. And we were going to, we got, drove up on Thursday. We came here Thursday night because they had night skiing, but it was drizzly rain. It was miserable, and we said, "Too bad." We went out and bought some super extra large garbage bags, plastic garbage bags. Cut a whole head, head hole, an arm hole, put it on top of our ski gear, and went out and skied and had a great time. <laughs> you look good too. Yeah. I'm Nico Vasquez. I'm from California. I'm Cooper Elliott. I'm from uh, Naperville, Illinois. What are you guys doing in uh, Boyne Mountain, Michigan? Well, my buddy over here told me it was nothing like he's ever seen, and I've never really seen snow, but let's hope that it's fun. I've never snowboarded in my life before, but I got a pass. I spent money, so let's hope it's enjoyable. <laughs> I hear there's a little bit of falling, uh, but that's going to be okay. Uh, I just hope that I could get up and learn because this guy's pretty much a pro. Well, what kind of advice are you giving your friend here? Uh, put your weight on your front foot. Don't die. <laughs> yeah, let's hope. <laughs> My name is Hillary Way, and I am the Snow Sports School Supervisor. Most of our clientele that comes to Boyne are actually first-time skiers, and so we really pride ourselves in our beginner lesson progression and then bringing those clients back for future years. We have some clients who have been skiing with us and the same instructors for 30 years, and they've taught multiple generations of families. So it's really cool to see families grow inside our department. Boyne has such a great history in the ski industry, nationwide, worldwide. It's really cool to be part of that here. Mike Thibodeau. John Kipke. Jerry Thibodeau. Pete Salas. As a group, we've been coming about 35 years yeah. up here. Every year? Yes, about yeah. every year, yeah. We, we, we start here lots of times, and we go to the highlands once in a while. Years ago when we used to come, it'd be nothing to wait in the bottom of the hill for 10, 15 minutes. Now that don't happen. We're up the hill as soon yeah. as we come near the lift, it seems. Yeah. Everybody well, waits at the top instead of the bottom, like they used to. Of course, we come on, we, we come on weekdays now that we retire <laughs> yeah. instead of weekends. That's probably nice. Makes it a lot better. Yeah. You know, you support each other to go out and do things. And this is one of the things that we like to do. So you got to have that camaraderie with, with your, group of, your group of friends. Yeah. Everybody. These guys are old, though, and i got to start finding some more younger ones. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like a picture together? All right. My name's Matt Knoll. Uh, we're from Jackson, Michigan, south of Lansing. I'm Jamie. I'm Hannah. What do you guys like about skiing? Uh, the terrain parks. parks. Hannah, what about you? Do you shred? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she shreds. <laughs> I can see it. IPR's Michael Livingston brought us that sound from the foot of Boyne Mountain, which opened on January 10th, 1949. Off the clock, he is a brand new skier who, he tells us, mostly stays upright when he's out there. Good luck, Michael. Okay, let's find out what else happened this week in Michigan. 
the state Supreme Court heard its first arguments of the year. We already told you about that big agriculture case this week, but justices also heard arguments in a case about COVID regulations. They will decide whether businesses affected by the state COVID-19 restrictions and those shutdowns can demand compensation. There were two separate cases in front of the court. In both, businesses argued that they have the right to demand compensation for lost earnings, but Michigan Solicitor General Ann Sherman argued all businesses were treated the same under the orders. A new report on alleged clergy abuse within the Diocese of Gaylord gives details about allegations against 28 priests and deacons. The allegations outlined in the report from the state attorney general's office include misconduct with both children and adults dating back some 70 years. Only about a dozen of those named in the report are alive, or thought to be anyway. None of them is facing charges, though, because the state AG's office says they've either run up against the statute of limitations, or they have not been able to get a victim to move forward with the case. After years of sewage violations, the small village of Beulah in Benzie County is trying to find a way forward in this new year. The state ordered Beulah to upgrade its sewage system, a project that's estimated to cost $12.5 million. The council secured a $2 million grant. Officials there say they're working to find more funding that would not need to be paid back. Even so, the village's 400-some residents saw a rate hike this year. This next story didn't happen in Michigan, it happened in Texas, but it happened to Michigan, so we're including a mention. The Michigan Wolverines became college football's national champion this week, beating the Washington Huskies for the title. We've got a few Wolverines running around here at IPR, including Ellie Katz, whose story we heard at the top of the episode, and classical IPR host Nancy Deneen, our corporate sponsorship manager, John Roddy, all wonderful people. So hey, Wolverines, great job. Congrats. And go blue. My MSU band jacket just just burst into flames, I think. That's it for the Up North Lowdown this week. Stay put for our sonic send-off while I tell you who makes this thing. We had contributions from Ellie Katz, Michael Livingston, and our Capitol Bureau, Rick Pluta and Colin Jackson. Our producer is Max Copeland. Our music comes from the amazing Blue Dot Sessions. I am Ed Ronco. If you like the Up North Lowdown, please rate and review it through your favorite podcast app. If you don't like the Up North Lowdown, well, I salute you for getting this far. We will leave you this week with a bird. Who? The great horned owl. That's who. Our friends at WGVU Public Radio tell us that January and February are the best times to see and hear owls in Michigan, including rare visitors like snowy owls. The eastern UP seems to be one of the best viewing spots, but keep your eyes open around other parts of the state as well. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. Mm